0: Well, this past week I was uh, working on my sermon. I know that that may be uh, news uh, to some. But I I was um, at home and I was reading this text uh, that Tina read to us earlier. And it's one that you are no doubt very familiar with. Uh, It's called the Love Chapter. It's probably the most famous chapter In the Bible. And it's read at weddings, uh, especially at weddings, and it's uh, one of those that will come around, uh, especially February 14th, as people think about love. But I was uh, there studying this text, and in the background, um, I uh, was hearing the chiming of the hour uh, from St. Joseph's Catholic Church. Uh, it's such a beautiful thing to be able to, to hear the bells of the church ring every hour and even on the half hour. And at Christmas time, um, you can hear the Christmas carols playing, and just it's great to be surrounded by that. But as I was working, uh, I noticed that I kept hearing the, the bell. It kept gonging like every minute, it would just gong, gong. There was no melody at all, just kept beating. And I thought, well, if they have a Quasimodo, uh, like he uh, is on speed or something, you know, it just kept ringing the bell. But it just kept going, and it got to the point, you know, after 15, 20 minutes, this is getting annoying to the point where I wanted to pick up the phone and call the church and say, uh, you know, I think your bell is stuck. Uh, it's driving me crazy down here. And, and it was just one of those aha moments where I thought, wait a minute, I'm reading a verse about... Uh, a noisy gong that just is, uh, you know, swinging and making noise that is annoying. And I thought, okay, God, I got the message. Uh, I need to pay attention a little bit more to this text. If you'll look in, in your Bible at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, we're looking at verses, uh, well, 4 through 10 or 1 through 10. But primarily, we are looking at uh, 14 through 10. And one of the things that I I heard uh, as, uh, again, this bell just continued to gong uh, were these words again that, that come from Paul as he writes about love. He says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, I, and if I have a prophetic, prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, then I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing." Just like the bell that was at one point very beautiful and bringing forth a beautiful melody uh, that turns into an annoying sound, Paul is saying our lives, if they have not love, then they are completely missing their point and have become annoying and basically useless. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth And they were having all kinds of problems. Uh, We hear about churches these days that have problems, or maybe you've been in churches that have had problems. Uh, Every church has them, I suppose. Some have more than others. And uh, Paul was writing to a church that was really getting divided. They all had become followers of Jesus. And they they were a very um, influential and powerful church in their area. And they lived, they were just surrounded by all kinds of needs, not just physical needs, but spiritual needs. And so uh, God was using them in their community, but they started fighting with one another. And you can read that here in Corinthians. Paul gets extremely angry with them. And he writes some, some very pointed words and wants them to understand the need for unity. And when we talk about body of Christ, most of our uh, imagery, our language for that comes from uh, this first letter to Paul. And by the way, it's 1 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, right? Uh, In fact, I titled my sermon, uh, Donald Trump should have read this chapter first. Uh, He talked about 2 Corinthians. Okay, so 1 Corinthians, it's, it's about the body. The church is a body. What is a body? It's a a living organism. It it is something that has various parts that move and work. In fact, the way that you came in here today was because your body was working together. Even It may not have felt like it when you got up this morning, but your body was working together in such a way that it was doing so on purpose to get you where you were going. And Paul says, church, you are a body, but you're not working together in the way that you should. You know, the the feet are going in one direction. uh, The arms are going in another direction. The the head is going and, you know, wanting to go different directions. And it's just a big mess. Paul says, you need to get back to the most essential thing. He says, it's not about faith. That's. Uh, That's a great thing. And by the way, the church tends to be described in that way. Faith, hope, and love, right? Those are three very important things that the church participates in. So, faith is important, but Paul says that it's great that you have faith, Corinthian church. You put your faith in Jesus as the leader of your church, the leader of your lives. Great. But that's not enough. Hope. That's great, too. You have hope that you will become the kind of church that God wants you to be, that you have hope for eternal life and hope for uh, things to happen in the world, all that. Paul says, great, but that's not enough. He says, if you don't have love, then you have missed it. Everything else that you do is basically meaningless because love is the one essential. And as we've looked at this before, uh, the word that Paul is using for love is that word... Uh, And of course, in his language, uh, there were various words for love. And the one that he picks, the one that he selects, is the one that means sacrificial love. It's the same word that Paul uses when he describes the love that Jesus demonstrated for us. The love that took him to the cross. The love that he would show people around him. This agape love. And so Paul writes to this church and says, you are not going to be the community or the body that God desires you to be until you are loving one another with a sacrificial kind of love. And he gives them a metric for that love. And uh, those are the words that uh, Bill and, and, uh, and friends uh, so beautifully <laughs> saying to us. And there are so many different parts of that. And we're going to look at that more specifically in a minute as we talk about our own relationships. But that's what Paul was wanting them to understand. Love is something you do. Uh, It is not this philosophy. It's not an ideal. It's not just some kind of a concept that's out there floating around. It is something that has been done for them. And it is something that they are to do for other people. And the other people begins in their own church. It's like he's saying, how can you expect uh, God to use you out in the community if you can't even love one another? And that was a great message for them to hear. He did have to write another letter. (laughs) It's a great message for churches of today to hear, isn't it? Isn't it still a relevant message? That these are the things, these are the ways that you are to love one another. And if you uh, look here in verse 8, here, here are the descriptions. Love, uh, Verse 4, love is patient. Some of us would stop right there, wouldn't we? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. How many of you have already been all those today? <laughs> It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Paul says to them, look, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So, Corinthian church, whatever you're going through, whatever issues you have, this kind of love will get you through it all. And he says, love never ends. So love is the essential. It's all about love. And yet they were missing the love that God intended for them to show one another. So I don't know about you, but this is always a convicting passage uh, of Scripture for me to read. I remember when Jenny and I were uh, about to get married, we were going through premarital counseling, and uh, we, we didn't get enough of that. But we <laughs> went through premarital counseling, and um, right before we got married, Jenny um, stitched, cross-stitched uh, the, the words of this um, onto um, something that we could frame in our bedroom and so it would go right there where we could see it and uh, one of the people that was counseling us and we were in seminary uh, at this point so I think it was a professor of counseling uh, just broke it down real easy and said if you will take your name and insert it uh, where you see love then it will really help your marriage you may not remember anything else that we work on in these premarital counseling sessions. But if you'll remember this, if you'll take this scripture and make sure that your name, is, that, that John is patient, John is kind, and go all the way through, then it's going to help you. And he was right. And it's something really that uh, I need to do every day. I was telling Larry, kidding with him, to take this with you and read it five times a day, Larry. And uh, he really doesn't need to read it that much. But we all need to read it at least once a day, don't we? We need to insert ourselves into Scripture. And so that's where we find ourselves with this text today. And I, I like it how this comes around uh, early February, we're almost to February, because we start hearing about more and more about love. But it's not the word that Paul used here. We, and, and there's nothing wrong with it, uh, eros or romantic love. The kind of love that Cupid uh, is out sharing or the love that is to be an incentive for us to give flowers and chocolate and uh, whatever else we might give to somebody that we love. That's all important. But if we don't understand the foundation of love, the love that Jesus exhibited throughout his life, the love that we can receive from God. I mean, that's how God loves us. For God so loved the world. He did something. He gave. And so we can receive that. But we're to share that with other people. And, and it comes out of this understanding of what it's all about. So we insert ourselves into the text. And I, I think the, the best place uh, to begin that is just locally. Just the closest relationship that you have. And that's at home. Love is to... Uh, be the foundation of any home. This kind of love. So as you look at your closest relationships, whether it's with a spouse or children, if it's with your parent or parent with your uh, with your uh, your children, think about that. How is this love evident? And by the way, I want to just challenge you to to get this love checklist out. I went ahead and checked all the boxes for you. <laughs> um, because I want you to, I want you to leave here today positive, thinking, "Okay, yeah, this is a love that I can, I can do. I'm not going to be perfect, and there are going to be days when I'm not going to be able to check this box. But I want you to think about this in the context of your closest relationship. Are these descriptions accurate for your relationship? Have you given up on the person that you're closest to? Do you care more for yourself than you do for other people? What about not wanting uh, its way? Doesn't want what it doesn't have. It doesn't strut. I like that. Doesn't. I didn't come up with that. Uh, But love isn't boastful, right? It's not proud. Uh, It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. See, this is where it gets really practical. Paul is is quite the theologian, and and you can read Paul's letters and just see all of this uh, deep and beautiful stuff about God. But he brings it all to a very fine point. He says, none of it matters unless you're loving people like this. So, in your closest relationships, but also when you uh, go to work tomorrow, it is supposed to apply to the people that you work with, the people that you don't want to see when you uh, go to work tomorrow, right? That we all have those. Sorry, me. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but we we all have uh, people that we we don't want to see or we don't want to talk to. Uh, who make us angry or are out to get us or at least we think they're out to get us. Um, We don't want to see people that are challenging uh, and competing with the work that we're trying to do. We don't want to see people that uh, are always negative, uh, people who uh, are destroying the workplace. Those are the kinds of people that we don't love the way we ought to love. Think about the difference it would make if you approach those people At work. With this kind of love. That you're not going to give up on them. Even though you have every reason to give up on them. That you're not going to be rude. On a Monday morning. That you're you're not going to make it all about yourself. You're not going to serve yourself. Before you serve that other person. Think about that. These are the things that. uh, Allow us to express this kind of sacrificial love. Uh, and students, as you go to school tomorrow, there there will be people, there will be bullies, there will be um, uh, other uh, students that you don't get along with. And Christ has called you to love with the same love that He has shown to you, to love in a sacrificial kind of way. I mean, you will just heap burning coals to use a biblical description. ...on your enemies if you'll love them in this way. But even with those who are closest to you, you will show the depth of your love, and you will demonstrate something that is so heavenly and beautiful by loving them in this kind of way. Think about it as a church, and really this was intended for the church, even though we use it in weddings and different places between couples. It's great to do that. But it was primarily for the church. How can a church exist without sacrificial and real love? How is it that we have churches today and can even become such a church that is all about what we believe? And we are so good about expressing what we believe. Or maybe we have uh, all kinds of doctrines that we can point to and uh, history and and we can talk about. Maybe we've got the whole Bible memorized and, and we're just really good with that. But then we talk about how much um, God hates gay people, right? Some churches, even with the word Baptist, hold up signs speaking of hate. How can that be? How can you have all of this belief, all this faith and all this hope, and you don't have love? You are annoying. Those people are annoying, aren't they? We see this in churches, uh, where someone will come out as gay, and they will no longer be welcome in the church. It happens in family. It happens in families right here in Shreveport, Bossier, where a child will express this to parents, and the parents kick the child out of the house. If you talk to uh, people who deal with youth homelessness, you will see this is a huge problem in Shreveport, Bossier. And the parents tend to be those who are very spiritual and religious, have a lot of faith, have a lot of hope, but not so much love. How can we say that we love people of other races if we are discriminating against them? How can we say God loves strangers and other people if we create laws that exclude them and push them away? How can we say that God loves people who are sick if we do nothing to make sure that there is adequate health care for all people? Whatever that may look like, how can we say that we love them if we don't take steps to help them? Amen. We have a challenge in front of us, not only to the outside community, but within our church. And one of the things that I think is so notable about our church is how diverse we are. Right? We love that diversity. We celebrate it. In fact, at the top of your bulletin, it says, Doing Love Diverse. Diversely. Which I can never spell. I'm glad to say I spelled it right. I can't. Diver- doing Love Diversely. That's our aim. Anyway. And so, we get along really well here in the church. But what we must also realize is that we need to go deeper in our community with one another. That's what Paul is developing here. It's an intimacy. Something that doesn't exist in organizations or institutions outside of the church. You see, back then, people would say, man, those Christians are crazy. They will go and help people they don't even know who are dying in the streets. People who are left for dead because of the diseases that would come through the community." And the Christians are the ones that will go out there and love these strangers. And they love one another. They give up their property. They give up their uh, their food. They give up clothes and all these things so that others in their community might have. And so they were seen as being powerful witnesses, uh, witnesses for Jesus Christ. And we are to do that. It's probably somebody calling right now, wanting some food or some clothes. People want to see that kind of love and and we all have that need and God wants to do that within our church body. How is it that we could go deeper in our relationships with one another? We're going to be looking at that uh, this spring and, and looking at ways that we can get a better understanding of who we are so that we can expand and we can become a more intimate kind of community of faith. Because there's a world out there that wants to see it. Uh, We had World Religion Day here last Sunday, and I was on a panel at the end of the uh, afternoon, and there was a lady sitting right over there, and she heard me talk about um, our church, and I I was just talking about, I think the question dealt with uh, separation of church and state, and uh, it was a surprise to her that we were the kind of church that... um, looks out for other people. And and we were a very kind of open church. And uh, it's almost like she was in disbelief. And uh, the last thing she said was, well, I wish there were other churches like that. And uh, I thought, yeah, I I do too. Um, We we need that. The world wants to see that. And right now, they just really don't believe it. But let's make them believe it. By the kind of love... We have for each other the kind of love that goes out into the world and makes a radical difference. Um, There's a book by Tyler Edwards. It's called Zombie Church. And um, it kind of looks like our carnival once a year. (laughs) Um, Now, um, when when, uh, this book was written, um, of course, at the height of all of everything, I guess we're still in the height of all of the zombie stuff that that is uh, on TV and everywhere else. Uh, By the way, they're not real. (laughs) Zombies are not real. But uh, in the book Zombie Church, um, Tyler Edwards writes about a bomb blast. He's he's writing about how the church can be um, focused and relevant in the community and helpful. And uh, one of the things is that, you know, every time a bomb goes off, there is a a blast radius. So everything within that radius uh, is affected by the blast. I mean, you may not get shrapnel, it comes to you from that bomb, but there, there are waves of pressure and things that are, are coming to you, sound and a lot of different things that are affecting you. And he says the church ought to realize its radius, its blast radius, and move outward from where it is to make a difference. And I think that's what we ought to do with love we ought to understand that we have a blast radius. And we talk about the Highland neighborhood and that this is where God has called us to be and that we need to uh, affect and to touch the lives of people all around us. And so it begins right here with you, with what you're doing with love, what you're doing in the closest relationships, what you're doing in the church, What you're doing at work, what you're doing in the Highland neighborhood, what we are doing around the world. There is a radius. May we fill it. Let's pray.